Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by David Jenkins, who is the Managing Director of Vertical Advantage and also the Founder and Director of Nurture Talent. Vertical Advantage was launched in June 2012 and over the last nine years, they have solely focused on serving the FMCG and consumer space, recruiting from everything across sales, marketing to logistics and procurement. There's currently 16 people within this brand and they have three more people joining the company in January. In September 2019, David launched Nurture Talent with Andy Davis. They offer an embedded talent solution and subscription pricing model where they partner with scale-ups who want to hire quickly and effectively. Now, this isn't David's only recruitment business or his first. So before this, uh, before launching both his businesses, David actually started another recruitment business where he received VC funding from James Kahn in 2009. But after a couple of years, David exited this business and sold his shares in the company. Despite adversity, both businesses, both brands, he's been really pleased with the growth, the year they've had. And I know David is going into 2022 excited, optimistic, as he plans to achieve more growth on both these brands. So David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. There's a lot we can unpack. There's a lot to cover. Where I always like to start is the million pound question, which I'm sure you thought a lot about as, as a leader of a, a recruitment business. So Love to hear your your thoughts on this. So I'd love to just hear your take on what you believe are the traits, characteristics that really make up a successful, high-performing recruitment consultant in today's market. Okay. The first thing that I would look for in, in any recruiter at any level is urgency. I think it's one of the most difficult things to actually test for in an interview scenario to try and work out how urgent somebody is, how they deal with things, how quickly they, they work. And you can kind of, it's it's something that with every exceptional biller that I've ever kind of met, come across at any different level, they're always, they, they just are always on it. They're always really, really sharp. They're always moving from think, from from one thing to another, but they know if they need to pivot and they need to kind of to, to change, they'll do that quickly. You know, we could talk a, a lot about a number of different traits, but I honestly put urgency at the, at the very, very top. The other bit I, I think that in, is more relevant today than it was five, eight, ten years ago is the recruiter today needs to be one third salesperson relationships, one third HR and hun- understanding human psyche behaviors culture what makes a good cultural fit and one third marketeer being able to to not only to be, to be a sector expert to be but to be able to position yourself as a sector expert and to be able to talk really really freely both you know online openly on on linkedin or you know via blogs or emails or and actually provide that real added value being that sector expertise mm, couldn't agree more how how have you got better at looking for urgency in an interview because I'm sure it's something that you've continued to think about if it's that important to you. Well, we've d- we've done a lot of grad hiring this year, so we did we did okay. a lot, we did a lot of analysis when we were kind of coming out kind of Q4 last year. We did a lot of analysis over the previous three or four years of everyone that we hired, all the levels, the salaries we paid them, how they performed, what they billed, what the ROI was, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we kind of just realised that ultimately 
you're getting the best ROI and the best development from the people that we've hired as as either grads or second jobbers, but they haven't done recruitment before and they, and they want to come in. So we've done a lot of that this year. And we within our interview process there, we set two tasks. So if they get through, so I interview everyone, first of all, I receive all the CVs, I, I look through them all. Anyone I like, I email immediately and I deliberately have an email conversation with the person and I see how quickly they come back to me on email. So the quicker they come back to me, the better a sign it is that I want to book that person in for a call quickly. So I'm already starting to make a decision on what their what their email community I'll ask them something spurious in the email just to see how they respond. And you know, sometimes people put make stupid mistakes or they say some something silly in the email and that's a bit of a turn off. But still go through with the with the call. We have a quick twenty minute to half an hour call. If they're punchy and reactive on that call, I'll book them in immediately for a Zoom call with my commercial director. But again, I'll introduce them on email and I'll leave it to them to book the, to the interview themselves. So I want to see, I want to see that they are driving the process then at that stage. We'll, we'll obviously send the Zoom invite. So all the way through the process, we're trying to see like how on it these people are. And then when we get them to the interview, we put them through, a, you know, a fairly, fairly rigorous probably one one to one and a half hour interview and then we do we have a couple of tasks and exercises so we give them a job description six cvs tell them to give them 15 minutes to come up with the best three in order reasons why they're the best three and then we ask them to write an email selling in those candidates to a client and we give them another 10 minutes to do that and if they can achieve all of that as a grab with no experience in recruiting they could get through it like it. I feel like that's been refined over time. Taking a while to get there. It's still, it's <laughs> like still it. a work in progress. It's still a work yeah, in yeah. progress. No, no. I like. I like the subtle sort of urgency. To, I like that. I think that's great because I think it, it it should give you a real insight into what they might be like. Yeah. I mean, if they're not urgent for themselves, how urgent are they going to be for another human being? You know, hundred percent. You know, people. You know. I have had people come back to me, you know, after three or four days saying, oh, thanks for your email. Like, let's book in a call. And I, I you know, and, and at times I'd be like, well, sorry, you missed the boat. That's not quick enough. Yeah. And I, I know that sounds harsh, but I, it's what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Just curious, just as we're on this topic. So obviously you've done more uh, grad hiring this year. Mm. So you've spoken a bit about the interview process. Just keen to get your thoughts immediately, really, on speaking to a lot of recruitment companies over the last couple of months. And yeah, real real challenge is hiring for their own companies. I mean, it's always been a challenge. But for most companies I speak to, they've really got back this year to hiring that trainee. Um, If I'm honest, I think most people I speak to, they actually prefer that that's what they want. But typically a lot of companies I speak to are always open to experienced hires. But I think this year that's been really difficult just because, I mean, look, if, you, if you're half decent, you should be making some good money this year with with the sort of um, how sort of crazy the job market is. So what I wanted to ask you and just get your immediate thoughts on was speak to a lot of people who are just finding it really difficult and they're just like, what advice do you have or people you speak to that have worked hard on getting better at getting in front of grads or selling to grads or attracting grads. Um, could you share with me? So I don't know if there's anything that you've learned this year that maybe you've seen have a direct impact on the amount of sort of attraction you've got from grads or that, that type of um, talent out of interest. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, and I wonder when you, when you're talking to people about that and you ask them about that process, the main change that we've made this year 
is that I've driven it. I've, I've, okay, so, so the so, business owner, so the, the owner. The, the owner. So ev- most people are saying, you know, the biggest thing I want to do is hire more people. The biggest thing I want to do. And then, then you say, well, who, who's doing the interviewing? It said, oh, it's the senior consultant or it's, you know, it's our talent manager or, you know, and I get it. Business is bigger, far bigger size than us. They need to have that structure and that thing. But for me, I will always, you know, regardless of what size we get to, and let's, you know, let's hope we're sitting here in a year or two's time and we're at least double the size of where we are now. And, but for me, it will always be the most important thing that we do. And it's hugely important for our culture. And I think it's helped us to, you know, to win when we've, when we've been competitive with grads who've had three or four offers that I've had the engagement with them from the very, very start. And I'm not saying they're joining because of me, but always I've been able to then have a relationship with them where I could pick the phone up and say, look, I think you can make a balanced decision. These are the things where I think we'd be a great fit for you, but I could totally see why these other options might be things you want to consider as well. Um, so, so personally driving it is one. And then actually on the, on the overall attraction bit, I think the people on grads, people are not paying attention to grads on LinkedIn enough. So grads, yeah. grad, like grad, obviously we're advertising, we'll advertise on all the main job boards and LinkedIn and stuff like that. But most that's, that's not rocket science. But lots of grads in their last year are on LinkedIn now. Yeah, for um, sure. And they're, you know, like if they're anything like me, they've no clue what they want to do. So, again, some really, really, we, we've actually hired three grads from Loughborough and we've hired three grads from Bournemouth. And if there's no doubt in my mind, like I love my sport. And whenever we meet people who are into their sports, their rugby, their football, whatever, whatever it may be, they, you know, that, that's just something and you know we've got a five-side football team and we do kind of some hit stuff and so it's just a trade of a lot of the people in the business so we target people at those universities who are in their last year at uni and we try and connect with them find out what their plans are etc and if they know anyone else who's looking and we also get our grads to go back and talk to people at the universities and see if we can get ahead of the game a little bit there as well smart final thing on this just really quickly curious what what do you think grads of today actually want from your perspective oh, like what, what do you think they're motivated by just from your conversation because i think this is again this is probably where you've had to adapt i feel like or recruitment companies have had to think about what they articulate communicate what do you think we're talking about this yesterday really yeah yeah, yeah. We, 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 i was chatting with some of them yesterday we, one of our directors went off on um, maternity leave yesterday so we had a, a little mini baby shower online and uh, but then we end, end up, I ended up having a chat because I was talking about a couple of these hires that we've been making. And I, I honestly think that the culture is now the most important thing. Culture. Yeah. I, I, I honest, honestly do. I think it, I think for grads, it, you know, obviously everyone's different, but I see more these days coming in saying, I want to work for the right kind of business, going to be the right fit for me, me as an individual. And whereas, you know, a few years ago, money would have still been top of the list, would have been, you know, earnings, earning potential. I think, I think a very, very close second actually is career progression and development. And, you know, I get asked that question pretty much in every interview that I do with a grad on that first call is, you know, that's usually the the second or third question that I get. But usually the first question is, is culture. Culture. Nice. Thanks for sharing. Let's get straight into the, the juicy stuff, David, if that's okay. Let's just get straight into it. Let's nervous. just get straight into it. <laughs> no, no, because look, you've, you've, um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, you've been in recruitment for nearly 20 years. Yeah, about 20 years. So there, there's a lot. Right. So let, let's just get straight into it. So where I want to start is is this this journey that you went on with the VC side of things. Let, let's start there and then we'll really unpack the last sort of decade, basically. Okay. So obviously bar that for anyone, obviously I've got David's LinkedIn up here, but obviously before that you worked at a recruitment company for five years, progressed to director before you, you did that, right? So I guess firstly, what was you hoping raising investment would enable you to do when thinking about starting a recruitment company? So what was it that you was hoping it would enable you to do? Was it enable you to sort of grow at pace? Was it enable you to grow it, like invest in the best techs immediately, invest into people, right? I don't know, what was you hoping it would enable you to do out of interest? Yeah, do you know what? The, so the two main things from that actually stem from my prior year with the first business that I worked for. So I actually joined there in 2002, seven years actually from grad to director. Level. Oh, okay, sorry. And I sat on that board of that business, which is a really, really nice business. We grew it to about 80 people at, it, at its max. I sat on the board with, with three other people, the MD and two, and two others. And we have board meetings that last the entire day. And a lot of the stuff that we would talk about, I just couldn't believe that we were talking about, like going into the minute detail of the change of price of stationery from month to month would be an example. <laughs> there was a slide on that in the board pack. Wow. You know, and, we, you know, and, I, and I was like, this, but this is the, like the guy who set up that firm was an ex senior consultant from Michael Page. So he'd never, he was a self-taught MD. All the other people who joined that company were grads that had worked their way up from grads. So, so our learning journey as a, as a board was basically we were a bunch of recruiting consultants that grew up to be directors of, of, of yeah, yeah, it's just learning on the job. Yeah, exactly that. So actually, for me, the investment piece was great because it enabled us to grow at scale. It enabled us to to yeah to, to hire. To, you know, we set up in April two thousand and nine, which is probably I would akin to like setting up in January of this year. You know, just just as markets coming out of a, a crash. Really, really brilliant time to start. Heard lots of great people. Blah, blah, blah. So the cash was great from that perspective. But for me personally, it was the learning journey. I wanted okay. to learn. I was a good recruitment director. I'd, I'd had a team of 20 people across three offices. I was a decent operator, a good biller, not the best biller, but a decent biller. But I wanted to learn how to run a business. I wanted to learn Got what it. a P&L was, what every line of the balance sheet meant. I wanted to learn like what payout rate was, what ROI was. And I felt James Khan and the team that he had there, they've been it, they've done it, I would learn loads. So it was a twofold journey about a, a learning piece. And also, you know, hopefully, we're going to grow, scale something that, you know, going to sell in the future and, you know, buy a small island off the Caribbean. And, you know, that would be me done. <laughs> didn't, quite, okay. didn't quite work like that, as you can tell from my backdrop. But, you know, I did get, <laughs> I did get the learning. Yeah, no, I like that. Okay, thank you. So what... Always interested to hear. So for anyone listening that may be considering going down that route for maybe other reasons, but what did you learn or what ended up being the most crucial part that you had to communicate when convincing people like James Kahn and his vehicle as to why they should back David? Like what, what was really crucial? Because if you said it was a learning, I'm assuming you've never put together an investment deck before because I'm sure that was learning. So what ended up being really crucial looking back? This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry, the recruitment operating system for your front, middle, and back office. So I recently recorded a podcast with James Layton from the Anderson James Group, which will be out really soon. And 
as part of our conversation, we got into the topic of the best tools that he's invested in so far in his business journey. And guess what? Vincherry was up there and also Sourcebreaker was. But in this very short snippet, you're going to hear why James is so happy to be a Vincherry customer. And look, who's better to tell you about their product and why you should be considering Vincherry as your operating system partner than their customers themselves? Here's what James had to say. We implemented Vincherry right in the heat of lockdown. We decided that it was the right time. The old system that we used was clunky. I'm a real, real, real believer of Vincherry as a system. I must have recommended 20 people to Vincherry over the years because I think they're going to change the game. And I can say that wholeheartedly, having used Bullhorn and another product, I can say that Vincherry is number one in that world for a growing recruitment business because it's intuitive, it's got intelligence suites, it's got everything that you probably need to... Yeah, it's a whole operating system, not just a CRM, is it? Is this the whole point? Yeah, it's, and yeah. It, it's brilliant. And they're brilliant. Like, you know, Eloise and the team there, they're, they're great. And they're always there if you need them for anything. Yeah, I think with them, like, we were, we were coming as a team. So there was there was six of us starting. So, okay. you know, it was nice to have, like, to be able to, they had the trust in me that I was bringing five pretty experienced, pretty good people with me on the journey yeah. and that they believed that I they could all report to me and I could be their MD. So that was that helped, and that was that was yeah. obviously compelling. But that's not a necessity, certainly if you're looking at investment. I honestly think with with the whole with the that whole convincing someone to invest in you, you have to be true to yourself. You have to be, you know, you you can't kind of pick things kind of pie in the sky. You have to be honest with you have to be honest with like where you are, where you are in your career, what you what what you need, and then what is achievable. So don't over-egg it, basically. So, but, but also, look, there, there are some standard things. Being in, a, being in good markets, being in growth markets, being able to spot where niches are and where development opportunities are. And again, with that business, uh, when we were pitching to James, we could, we could call out, this was 2009, right? We were able to call out in retail, e-commerce is going to absolutely fly, right? So we were able to call out, we can target the likes of Net-A-Porter, ASOS, et cetera, et cetera. They will be amazing clients, and we can really, really over-index on that. And you could see that there were really, really good growth opportunities in various other pockets of the market, and that really, really helped. I like that. So share with us what you what you can, but like, I guess people are interested and, and keen to know. I'm sure you've been asked this question before. How was the deal structured? Because I think this is where sometimes people can be a bit worried, because I think the perception... I don't know, people I speak to, I think the perception can be quite a negative one of, of going down the investment route. They're going to take all my money and all this, still feel employed. Like, what? how did? How was it structured out of interest? Like, did you, was you the majority shareholder? Was you not? No, J- James was the majority shareholder. James and, and the VC business were the majority shareholder. So they were about 66% and we were, you know, we were the remaining 34. I was the second highest shareholder and, you know, invested our own cash. So... Did you have ratchets? Yes, I'm ra- this, yeah, um... I'm, ra- I'm ratchet ratchets to grow to get to to get to a higher level, and we to be fair, ratchets that were achieved. So it wasn't an underperformance thing as to why it kind of evolved the way it did. It was more, uh, you know, board to ND kind of thing that it was more probably more appropriate that I moved on, took my money out of my shares, and let somebody else come in because ultimately I think my learning journey had there had stopped. And I really wanted to be the majority shareholder. It was going to be impossible to make that happen in the timescale that I wanted it to happen. So that's kind of why I ended up going. But, you know, it, 
But I think the lear- the learning there is I wouldn't put anyone off getting investments. I actually think it was an incredible thing to do, but it's doing it for the right reasons. If your plan is to grow rapidly scale or your plan is to live a kind of certain way or a certain lifestyle and it doesn't mean it doesn't dictate that you need to be a hundred percent shareholder, I think the investment is is a really, really good route to go down. Yeah, I think, yeah, that I was going to ask you advice, but you've, you've nailed that. It's just, yeah, anyone listening that's considering going down that path, like really, really make time to think about why. And yeah, it's some, it is true. I think that, that's really what it boils down to. And once, once you have clarity on that, then hopefully you'll be able to make the right decision or better decisions. I guess ju- just quickly, final point on this, just to wrap this up, just because I think it'd be useful. Were the ratchets, like, were they all similar, just different targets? Or was it around, like, net fee income? What were the typical ratchets out of interest? That could be interesting for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was net fee income and EBIT. Okay, um, nice. Yeah, Super simple then. So, we had, yeah, we had, to, we had to maintain a minimum of a 20% margin, and then we did a three-year budget forecast. So, basically, the ratchets kind of went, went along kind of as, as they came. So, yeah, and we, you know, we, we achieved those and that was that was great but i think the input level where you've got kind of a, a vc business and then you've got a kind of you're you're, you're always pushing right you're, you know, you'll see it in any industry right you're, it's growing it's growing it's growing and then sometimes that's not the the most sensible thing to do with the business sometimes there are times where actually you shouldn't be hiring you should actually just be letting people bed in or doing different things but you know in that kind of scenario, it's pressure, pressure, pressure to do it. And actually, then you're making decisions which aren't necessarily the best decisions for the business because you're trying to hit a target, you're trying to hit a number, you're trying to hit a ratchet. And it's like, well, we've got to do it. But actually, you know, that, and that's what I mean about like getting the, the right investors and the right support for when you're but thinking about what you want to do with the business longer term because actually you don't want that support to then impact how you're going to run your business. Got it. So vertical advantage, I'd be interested to know when you, when you thought about vertical advantage in the first instance, like what, what was top of mind for you? I think a lot of people would then go into launching their own recruitment business and be like, right, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to take that, which I liked. I'm not going to do that. What was like David's mindset towards sort of approaching vertical advantage differently out of interest? Well, the, the first thing was there was 140 clients I couldn't touch for a year. And I had a, <laughs> so I had a, a year? Yeah. So wow. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I had a pretty, pretty it's six, six months, isn't it? Typically yeah. people would experience. But, you know, I was getting paid out on shares and stuff like that. So it was, it was a prescriptive list, right? So it was every client that the business had had an interview with in the previous year. Was, wow, it, was, okay. was, was so it was basically I was, so I knew who I couldn't go after, which then made it quite easy actually to go. Okay, so I sat myself in like I, I had been off the tools for about eighteen months in terms of recruiting day to day. So it was great to give myself six months to just go and do that, build some clients, build some relationships, make a few placements, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, before starting to kind of scale it. So I guess I, I think I just took I took the view that again there were some niches within some of the spaces that we were operating in that we were would have been great growth areas and we would have pushed kind of further desks on. I just kind of focused on those. So things like CRM, data analytics, insights, we which is, you know, a hybrid part of a kind of a marketing department really, but we weren't really, really focusing on those. I really, really pushed that in the kind of the early stages. And then the scaling kind of of the FMCG consumer piece and what vertical advantage really stands for is that we wanted to be a sector specialist that had specialist individual recruiters across 
these different areas that we hire into, so supply chain, procurement, logistics, sales, marketing, digital, etc. So we could go to any client, Perno Ricard, Revlon, Racket Benkies, or whoever it may be, and say, look, you could put us onto your PSL, and we will have a specialist in each of these individual areas that can cover. And we're, we're a niche specialist for you, but also you can use this across the board. So you guys get economies of scale. And we can probably be your boutique recruiter alongside your Michael Page, your Hayes, or whoever you want as your, you know, your top tier major supplier. And that is still the premise of us today. That still works. We've just got more people and we've become more specialized. Yeah, yeah. I hear this so much. Just always interested to hear people's take that I just spoke to so many people now on the podcast where sometimes people will go, I wish we went niche more sooner. Or we'll talk about that you're talking about that it's actually your differentiator or it's really important. Like, I don't what from your perspective, a modern day recruitment bit, like, why is that so essential? Why is that so critical? Yeah. Do you know what it is? It, it's that just the modern day of recruitment and the modern day of how businesses want to engage in attracting talent and their EVP. So there's so much more today that is out, you know, the internet, social media, etc etc there's glass door there's all, all these things and businesses are so so cognizant of their own brand and it's really you know people can go onto twitter or you know trash it whatever whatever it is right they can do it so it starts there really and actually then when they start thinking about their suppliers and who they want to be their representatives in the marketplace they don't want somebody who's going to be uber salesy trying to ram jobs down people's throats or anything like that. they want really really credible really really bright individuals who are understand a their business b understand the types of candidate they're trying to attract and c handle them in the right way treat them like human beings and i think that that is how recruitment has evolved today and it's a far 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 more professional industry than it was when i joined in, in 2002 and that is why Niche specialization is so, so important for anyone. And, 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 you know, if I could have another 20 people in the business, we'd still continue to do the same things that we're doing. We just keep segmenting again. Yeah, yeah. Just on this really quickly, just again, interested to hear your thoughts. What sort of key markers do you look at or indicators do you look at that sort of gives you the the feels of this could be a, a big area, this could be a big growth area? Yes. I'm trying to, yeah, just interested to hear your thoughts on that. I'm not trying to give it, get you to give all the secrets also, no, no, but no, no, what, um, what are some of the, the typical key markers that you look at that go, you know what, that could be a, a really interesting area that could be its own market itself? A couple of different things. So I'll give you, I'll give you a good, actually easier to probably give it as an example within our business. Yeah, yeah, nice. So within e-commerce and digital, we separated that out from our sales and marketing team a couple of years ago because we realized that brands wanted to, you know, wanted to sell their products directly to us they didn't want to sell them in the supermarkets or whatever it is and then we realized that brands were actually selling a lot more of their products on amazon standard right like there's mum and pop brands in amazon that are like you know selling golf branded golf balls or whatever it is picture frames and they're making a couple of million quid so we kind of saw this kind of trend happening and obviously ridiculous growth of amazon everyone kind of knows about that and we basically just saw this ecosystem of businesses happening around amazon and marketplaces and basically just said we are going to just we're, we're going to get in there early we're going to basically be amazon specialists we're going to focus on on just talking knowing understanding amazon being able to like our lots of literature about amazon candidate traction so that 
when businesses go to search for Amazon recruitment or recruitment experience, like we're, we're coming up, our people are there. Now, other businesses have caught on to that. Of course they have. It's, you know, it's no secret that there have been billions and billions of pounds raised by businesses just acquiring brands that sell on Amazon. So that always happens, but we got there early. So we're ahead of the game. We've got the brand, we've got the space in there. So it's easier for us to execute. Um, and there will probably be three or four other areas now I can personally see in our space that are going to be super, super impactful. Like there's a lot of legislation about reducing sugar content in products. So, you know, think about the impact of that, the impact of climate on food. These are things that in the next 10 years are going to shape what products we buy on our shelves, sustainability. So we're already positioning our new desks with what's coming further down the line. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So is this is this very much just a just just being super curious, committing to your industry, being embedded in your industry, asking good questions, like networking, speaking to people, and then yeah, I guess just being smart really with what you're reading, what you're taking in, the information that you're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Like my guess is you talk to loads of tech recruiters, and you've probably got a really great network. So that, you know, in tech, there's new stuff going on there all the time, right? New new stuff going on, and new new different things being tried, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So Again, depending on whatever industry you're in, I think as a, as a leader and as a recruitment owner, you owe it to yourself to be the most knowledgeable person in the room about what's going on in your industry. Yeah, yeah. Because if you do, then you can see and spot the trends. You might you might spot a competitor doing something that looks quite interesting, and then you might be able to jump on the back of that. It's not you know that, there's no shame in doing that. But if you're also the first person there and can recognise the need coming before anyone else does that first mover advantage is huge. Yeah, no, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. So obviously, as I said in the introduction, so soon to be, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're going to be just around 20 people in January, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. So common question that I get, and I know we're sort of just jumping around a bit here, but common question that I get is typically, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but there seems to be like a real, there can, it can be like a real challenge for recruitment businesses to get past that like 10 headcount mark um, and sort of build that sort of critical mass that enables them to go from, yeah, 10, 15, 20, et cetera. So I guess, I don't know if you could talk a bit about some of the challenges that you've had to work through in getting, I know it's not just about the headcount, but in terms of like just building a, a good group collective of, of profitable, bill, I don't know, like what, what's been some of the challenges in breaking through that 10 headcount mark and, and, and did you experience any challenges? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. And all I wanted to tell you about today is one of their recent really useful and valuable articles. So a lot of you right now are probably thinking, how can I tap into more talent pools? How can I get more relevant candidates showing up in my searches, whether that's on your CRM, LinkedIn, wherever it may be? Well, this is Sourcebreaker's world. So what they've recently done is published an article called The Power of Search, Five Ways You Can Improve Your Candidate Pool. So in this really short article, you will walk away with five practical ways that you can uncover and find talent that you're looking for that maybe might not show up if you're just using the the current ways of searching and what you're doing. I mean, what they've found from all of 
the surveys and data that they can look at is like 48% of searches typically contain errors. So if you want practical ways that you can uncover talent that you may be missing, click the link in the show notes, read the power of search, uh, get those tips, walk away with them, start using them and let us know how you get on with those five tips. And if you find some more people, enjoy. Our experience is far too many times. We could have a whole podcast just on the challenges. <laughs> um, really? Yeah, that's not just recruitment. That's just generally in life. And yeah, no, yeah, no, no, sure. being serious. Yeah, you're you're right, and it is difficult. Ten is ten is a is is an important number, but also with, when you're going past ten, you're also making a difference in terms of you know your cost base, your the way your business is. You know, you're you're making decisions, proper business decisions. But pre ten, you've always got the, the opportunity to be push it back to a lifestyle business, retract to six or seven, move everyone remote. That can happen if you lost one or two people. You could make that decision. Yeah, yeah. Once you've committed and you've gone to ten, twelve, there's a bit more reality about the direction of travel that you're going. Now, yeah. luckily, I I've never I, I was always going this way, right? I was never it was always trying to get here as quickly as we possibly could, and, and you know I'm actually pretty disappointed we're only at twenty people in January, given the age of the business, but a you know, firm plan that we're going to accelerate and catch up on where I'd like us to be in a couple of years' time. But I think that main challenge, or, or how, like, how do you get through it, is when the, times, when the times are good and the times are, you know, when you've got the opportunities, when you've got the good performers, don't sit and rest then. That's the time to really, really push. That's the time to really, when you're, when you're tracking your job volumes and your job volumes are strong, you're tracking your conversions and your conversions and your ratios are strong. That's the time to have your own, you know, your own KPI in place. Your own, your, your own saying, okay, I've hit that now. Some people will call it a hiring trigger. Some people will look at it from a financial perspective, whatever it is. But have that in place, stick to it, be dedicated, but push through. And I think you can't do it just bit by bit, one at a time. You've got to, you've got to really, really try and make the jump because it won't all work. You will step back a little bit. So then you've got to be pretty tough about your decision making because it's become a bigger business. How important is it, like, if you think of, like, your job now, do you think you stayed too close to the tools for too long? Was that part of it or was it just part, was it, you just had to do that anyway? I don't know. I was too nice. I just, I, I was too nice. Yeah, I like, I like, I like hiring people that I like. So, <laughs> what, so did you keep people in a business yeah. that maybe you shouldn't have yeah and probably experienced recruiters that ended up going into in-house jobs and things like that who are, would be far right. better in in those in those roles but yeah. like them got on well with them maybe worked with them in previous businesses whatever it is and they're far better doing what they're doing now but because we got on well and they're good people i held on too long and actually, I had to, you know, I had to have a word with myself in 2018 into 2019 about toughening up. Otherwise, we just weren't going to kind of get there. And I had a non, I had a non-exec at the time, which was recently evolved, but he, he, he had the same chat with me. He was kind of like, look, you're going to have to decide here what, what you're going to do. We're either going to have to really, really push on, but you're going to have to toughen up, toughen up on some of your decision making or, you can just crack on as you are and everyone can be friends, but you're going to remain at 12, 13, 15 people. Yeah, yeah. What is it that you, I don't want to say struggled with, but what was it that sort of maybe, I don't know, what was it just that you're just an overall nice guy or you didn't want to let people down? Did you feel responsible for these people? Yeah, I mean, you probably, I'd like to say overall I'm a nice guy. <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> you know what, it's difficult. When you've seen people do well and perform and you know they can perform to a level, 
and you believe in them and you like them as people. You want them to succeed. You, you know, you want to try and help them to succeed and you'll do everything in your power to help them to get to where they should be or where they've been before. But some changes, you said the market changes, people changes, their needs, wants, motivations, desires, they all change. And actually, you can only control the controllables. I'm sure loads of people have said that on these sure. on the podcast. So, and it's very, it's so true. So, but actually, you, you do have to toughen up. You know, if you're going to be a business owner, you're going to, you know, you're going to be looking at what your, what your cost base is every month and it's going up 60 grand, 70 grand, 80 grand. Like, you, if you're not going to run a successful business, you, you have to, you have to make those decisions. And I, I make those decisions and we make those decisions now, but I also have a leadership team that, probably take some of those decisions away from me sometimes and kind of say like i'd be like let's try this or let's try that and they're like no we've got to do the right thing we're moving we're moving on and we're, we're, we're going to make this decision mm. non-exec you mentioned that or oh, it's, it's it's been a real it's been a real popular message that i've had this year which i find really interesting because because i i do feel like i've recorded it hasn't I've recorded like a bit of a sort of short video series on like key insights from from this year's conversations, and and one of them is absolutely like I, I don't think this will come as a surprise to you from sort of our interactions and stuff, but I do really believe that the modern day recruitment business owner or the most successful recruitment business owners that I've spoken to are, are have way more humility than they do ego. So I think it makes sense the fact that most messages like I've had so many messages going, hey you're connected to a lot of people. Do you know any good non-execs, these things? Because they're, they're willing to ask for help. They don't feel like they know all the answers. So you mentioned non-exec there. So one, when did you get, when did you engage with a non-exec and, and where was a sort of driver motivation behind that? I mean, it makes sense the fact that when you went down the VC route, you wanted that learning. So clearly you're someone that was willing to ask for help. And then two, how did you go about finding that that person? Yeah. Okay, yeah, good, good, good questions. I 100% believe in the non-exec and advisor route. Um, I made a mistake when I set up Vertical Advantage not getting the uh, non-exec sooner. So sooner, I thought, okay. Yeah, because I, you know, okay, 2012, 2013, I'd had a lot of the learnings and I felt like, great, I'm equipped now. I've, you know, I've done my 10 years, done two recruitment businesses. I know what I need to know. I can, I can do this. So I did it for three years, got us to about, 10 people across two different offices there was a little bit of that back and forth 12 down to 9 yeah, back yeah. to 11 really and i was confident. a bit like okay how do i get through it and that was where i went and, so and sought the help and i i asked every single supplier that i had who was involved in the recruitment industry who they knew and who they'd recommend i did linkedin searches and i went i probably met about 15 different people over a six-month period um, in 2016. What was it that you looked for that was important to you? I know this is nuanced, but what were the sort of important things for you out of interest? Just so, someone that didn't just, I, I, the best one in the world, there are some people, in the, well, maybe speak ill of the recruitment industry. There are some people in the recruitment industry who do a lot of talking, but don't say very much, right? Yep. So there was a lot of that kind of chat and it's a lot of like up in the air and strategic and this and that. I actually really, really wanted someone who was going to be really, really honest really really direct said something in one sentence that they would you know they wouldn't waste saying it in three sentences they just tell me how it is and and i don't have time to you know kind of read personality i don't have time to kind of to have four hour meetings when we can do something in an hour i'd rather i'd rather we were kind of to the point we moved on and, and we have those conversations so was that there was a style match point i was looking for i was looking for the right kind of person the right kind of style and the guy i settled upon 
didn't know anything about our industry. He had a fairly corporate kind of background, but a global kind of background. And he'd been doing advisory for a couple of years, but he was really, really interested in what was going on. He was really interested in tech. He was really, really interested in markets. He was interested in international recruitment. He was, yeah, he, he had a good story himself, but he, he'd seen a lot of different things in a lot of different sectors. And that I thought was, that was great. And he was, he was exceptional, but we also worked together for five years and became too comfortable. And he, yeah. when, when we parted ways earlier this year, we both agreed it was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, because again, nice. I love that learning journey had had finished because we worked together for five years. We were good mates, but you know, yeah, that's you've been too nice again, mate. There you go. It keeps coming back <laughs> to that. We need to rename. We need to rename this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So then? So I know you said it's evolved. So then, have you got a new exec now? Yes, a new non-exec. Yeah. How? What? What was important this time? Think because I think like now you're at a different business. What was important now that you was looking for out of interest? Yeah, was important to you. So because we've got, it's actually important that we because we've got two businesses. We wanted really, really someone who could work with both businesses. And, and okay, I, I I liken selling nurture as a proposition is a bit like um, selling a SaaS product. It's a, it's a solution-based sell. You're asking someone to commit far higher amounts of money, and it's not like contingency recruitment or even a retainer. It's, it's, it's a lot more kind of complex than that. So actually, when, when we're thinking about evolving this, we wanted someone who could actually really, really help us advise us on a solution-based selling proposition. So maybe you come from an RPO background or a technology kind of background, but again, also on the recruitment side of things. So the guy that we found actually started just on the nurture business for six months, and then he started to pick up the VA stuff. And yeah, how it, did you find him? How did you, how um, again, recommendation. So we nice. um, we use a recruitment specific accountancy firm, and yeah. the CEO of that firm I've got to know well over the last few years. And yeah, again, similar similar process to it to how I went before. Asked all my suppliers, asked all the people in the industry. Probably these days is now a little bit easier to find those people because they're all on LinkedIn networks. You see a lot yeah, of people yeah. doing talks and stuff like that. We've got a good training provider, so I asked him who he he rated. And yeah, again, nice. I, yeah, finding that one. So okay, cool. So before before we finish, and I wanted to ask you around that's your talent. So th- this is one of the other insights that I've taken. So it's interesting you mentioned. So one of the other things that I've definitely noticed this year is um, like definitely a rise in like solution selling i would say so i don't know if you've noticed this but i would definitely say that like i think in the last 12 18 months it's definitely enabled or encouraged recruitment companies to think about their offering and how they could evolve it and something i've definitely noticed more and more of is this like talent partner model which seems obviously a bit similar to, to nurture talent so i guess interested to to hear so i get i feel like the common hypothesis that I get from people when I speak to people about who's done this or considering it is like, instead of working with David who has a business that wants to go from 10 heads to 15, 25 heads, it just read series A funding, whatever, instead of speaking to them about ones and twos, threes and fours every quarter or whatever, let's speak to David around how we can actually support his business for six, 12 months we're going to agree what the deliverables are on the hiring side each month. We're also going to help him shape their hiring process because that needs some work, um, understand what's possible, what they need to look for, all these types of things. And instead of paying per person, you're going to pay us X per month 
and there might be some deliverables in there where if you deliver four or five people, then you get a, you get an extra increase in terms of monetary or whatever. But what that means for David is he's got a dedicated talent partner. The hiring problem should hopefully be solved. He's got a dedicated person going out there every single day talking about their brand. They're building out their hiring process that could be useful for people in the future. And he's saving money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You should, like, that you, you seems should, to you be, should be our head of sales. Process. You've nailed it. <laughs> And that um, seems to be like the hypothesis. So like how, but I do feel like there's different challenges in this from when I spoke to people that are doing it. So like, how is it actually played out? Cause that hypothesis makes sense. Like it makes sense, doesn't it? It's does. so like, David, you can save money. We're going to work like did do all that. But like, what has been really difficult about out of interest? Like what, when actually executing? Trust. Trust is the, Trust. Is the, is the big thing. So you're asking some, it's very, very easy to give a recruiter a job on a contingency basis. Because you're yeah, spending, you pay on delivery. Yeah, exactly right. You, you know, even yeah. paying a small retainer up front or whatever it is, you spend a couple of grand, whatever it is. But you're then trying to convince someone to maybe part with sixty, eighty, hundred grand over a six month period, and they've got nothing for it. Before they've committed to it, they haven't got anything for it. Yeah, and it's that you're not selling them a piece of technology. You're, you know, you can show them what it's what it's like, and you can show them case studies of how you've done it really, really well before. But that person needs to trust you and needs to believe that you can deliver what you say you're going to deliver. And actually, more often than not, at some point, if they've got CEO or founder level, they've been burned by somebody in recruitment at some point in their career, either yeah, as a candidate. Preconception, trust, trust already broken for a lot of people. Exactly that. So you've got to try and get your head around that. Now, if it, it really, really helps if you sell a concept that is like nurture, so something as a service. Mm. This is talent as a service. You could call it that. Yeah. So if your product or something that you sell is similar and you, your product is also part of a supply chain, you're basically saying Look, recruitment is part of your supply chain. It's part of your DNA. It's just one component part of you building and scaling this business. You might outsource, you know, you, you, you're you not going to hire a, a chief legal officer, are you? You're going to outsource your legals to a, to a law firm. Yeah. Probably not going to hire a, a CFO day one. You're going to outsource source to an account It's just the exact same thing. It's just an outsourced part of your supply chain, and it's not a direct overhead. Right? So you're not paying national insurance. You don't have to employ someone. If you're not happy with it, you've got a 30-day notice period. Right? So you're, you're trying to give them comfort in terms of, of where they are, but you also need to be compelling that actually you've got good quality. You're, you're delivering good quality. So the people that you line up to talk to them about who their talent partner is going to be need to be impressive. They still need to be able to sell themselves. They need to be good recruiters. And so these are, you know, there, there are a lot of component parts, but it's also, it's incredibly rewarding. It's basically, it's basically from a, if you can, if I can liken it to anything from a recruitment agency side, it's basically like working for your best client. What's been the biggest challenge that you least expected with it? I think the biggest challenge is the door opening piece. It's the, okay. it's the like how many proposals a month for for new business can we actually get out? You know, we've got Bohurst and you've got LinkedIn and you've got TechCrunch and you you know you can track and you can see where people are. But getting hold of the you know just because someone's raised five million quid and they need to hire fifty people doesn't automatically give you the God-given <laughs> right that they want to talk to you and hear about your service, yeah. right? You think, this is amazing. They're going to be spot on for this. And, you know, it's an e-commerce business, something we know inside out. We're like, this surely is a no-brainer. And they're like, no, you know, don't even want to have a conversation. So I think we underestimated that a little bit, but we're also getting a lot better 
uh, how we sell into those businesses. You know, we've got growth hackers in in these businesses, and you know, entrepreneurs in residence, and basically they're just people who are working out within you know growth tech firms how we grow more, how we grow quicker, how we sell more. And actually, we need we've needed to adopt that kind of mindset of how we develop business isn't the traditional recruitment methodology. We need to get away from that. We need to get to more of a solution selling model. Yeah. So look, coming to the end here, I want to get to recent times and then sort of find out a bit about what's on the horizon for you guys. I know, I know there's obviously still so much we can talk about, right? But I guess obviously when we were preparing for this, I know that you mentioned that, I hope you don't, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but again, correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously this year you've experienced nearly 80% growth on your NFI. So I guess what, just to keep it recent, obviously we've had all time high job markets, but what would you say has really contributed to that? I'm sure you're spending a bit of time looking at this year now or thinking about it as well as next year. But what what do you think are some of the fundamental things you did right this year that really enabled you to achieve that figure, do you think? I honestly think it's what we did right last year that's made us yeah. do well this year. I, I think that the, the recruitment market has been good. We all know it's been good. I actually don't know if nearly 80% growth is where that sits in the overall market for business of our size. If that's good, like as you said yourself, most businesses should be growing, should be growing at a good level. I think I'm, I'm really, really proud of what the guys have achieved this year. And we're, you know, we're really, really happy with that. We've got another plan to do something similar next year. But it definitely stemmed from how we managed things from April to December of last year. That's what's enabled us to get to, to where we are. What did you do right? Just do the right things, support when you could. Like, what was it? We just over indexed on helping. We just went really in our index. No surprise there, David. Yeah, you, again, <laughs> comes back to being like the nicest guy in recruitment. I keep on labeling myself that. But, you know, we, we, no, I love it. we you know, in all our sectors, we created spreadsheets of open, yeah, open spreadsheets of candidates who were, have been displaced in the industry and where we noticed that we noticed that people were hiring directly. And there were relevant people on those spreadsheets. We'd send those spreadsheets to clients and say, look at this list. These are all people who are active market. Contact them directly. It's not a fee. It's not anything. We know you're hiring. There, there's some really, really good people in here. So we basically did a lot of free work for, for probably a three month period. We'd had a brilliant Q1. So that was great. And then, then we were able to really, really monetize that. I think a couple of our, my senior people stepped up ridiculously in terms of, their networks, their market, how how they were able to impact took things on their own board. One guy started his own kind of podcast series with a guy in New York who was working in a similar market, and it was talking about the difference between the U.S. market and here. Didn't ask him to do it. He just did it. He did a brilliant job, got in brilliant traction in the marketplace. So I had so, so thankful that I had a brilliant senior team, but also we just, just went out of our way to to be nice and help as much just as do the right could. thing yeah try yeah. yeah because it was pretty horrendous for everyone right love it i do feel like this will play out on recruitment i think in the in the long term but i do feel like like being nice isn't a typical business owner business person trait but i think that should change and and i, I do think i think that will change and I, and I do think empathy compassion doing the right thing being a good human are absolutely brilliant business traits yeah 
And I do think that will change. I don't know. That just really resonates with me, just because I think the journey that I'm on, like so far, and and that does, it does play out. But I think it's when you're like you you did those things not because you're like in two in 24 months time we're gonna do five deals with that company. Yeah, yeah. You're doing it because it feels fundamentally right in your bones to do it to do the right thing, and. The way of the world, it, it, it then comes, it, it comes back round, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you know, there is all those, you know, those different things around, you know, business owners needing to be, you know, tough and harsh. And, you know, there, there are times where you've obviously got to make difficult decisions. I'm not a believer in that. But what I am a massive, massive believer in is, is really, really understanding people. And I think to, to, like, with the way of the world today, with mental health, with physical health, with the way that, you know, you cannot grow and scale a business in the recruitment industry without being really, really interested in your people and what's actually going on in their lives outside of the day to day. Because if someone's sleeping badly, they're not going to be, they're going to, they're going to struggle to recruit properly. If someone's eating badly, they might have to be experiencing some healthy, like, it's all completely interconnected. And if you aren't interested in that kind of stuff today, the future, you're going to really, really struggle to grow, and I think that's that's fundamental in terms of building business now. And these, and maybe not just recruitment, other sectors as well. Mm. So, what, what's let, let's wrap up then? What, what's All on right. the horizon for VA then? What, what are you uh, excited about? Talk to us next year. What's going on? Super excited. We we've done a big, big piece with the new exec on further divisionalizing. So all these new, okay. all these new hires. So probably most of our guys are probably working across three or four different skill sets at the moment. That's going to go down to two. So all these new, oh, wow. new so it'll be slimmed down. So we probably segment out probably seven or eight different areas that we'll really, really focus on. Some are growth areas, some are more core areas. And um, so we've got to, we've got to take that to clients. We've got a new client management strategy in terms of client reporting and, and being and um, more connected with our clients. So we've got to build on that. We've got some new tech coming in. New phone systems coming in early part of next year. It's going to be interesting, but that's going to help. We're hybrid working, so we're three days in the office, two days from home, and a couple of people have more flexible contracts. So we need to, again, gear up for the future by investing in some really, really good tech around that. So there are some of the things, but like honestly, you know, over all of that, the thing that I most enjoy and most looking forward to getting more growth for both of the businesses because we've got amazing opportunities. To continue growing, and I love, I love hiring. I love seeing the business grow in terms of headcount. So I can see it's going to be an exciting year. Love it. Well, look, David, thank you so much. Continue being you, my friend. Continue thank being nice. <laughs> thanks for, uh, thanks for that. Thanks for being so honest no, and, uh, and for sharing me. everything on here. No, yeah, really excited to share this with everyone. So, yeah, huge thanks for coming on the pod. No worries. Thanks a million, mate. Cheers. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.